Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of China Manufacturing Decoded, our podcast here at Sophist. This is episode 133, and today this is uh, Renaud Geron, your host, and uh, we have a guest, a returning guest, Clive Greenwood, an experienced manufacturing manager and uh, quality and compliance consultant who is on the call here. He's, uh, he's based, in, based in Suzhou in China. And today we're going to talk about a <laughs> very special topic. How can companies assess the environmental impact of their productions in China? And, you know, we're going to talk about why it's becoming more necessary. Uh, what do Chinese manufacturers do or think about it, if anything? And, and yeah, how companies usually do to, to assess the environmental impact. So this is becoming a bit of a, a trend. So there's been an acceleration in awareness in the consumer base, let's say, uh, recently. And a lot of big brands show, you know, okay, if you buy the iPhone 4, uh, whatever, 14, it's equivalent to... Um, what 70 kilos of equivalent CO2 and, and yada, yada, yada. Okay. And you see more and more companies uh, publishing these, these kinds of data. And especially when they, they think they are virtuous, right? And sometimes it's, it's shocking people like Lululemon, a, a garment brand uh, selling to the um, relatively uh, ecologically conscious uh, consumers, sort of yoga pants and things like that. They, they, they came out with their own assessment of the the impact of of their products and everybody was like oh this is so bad i, I can't even imagine this is so bad this is so polluting this is it consumes so much water electricity or uh, releases so much waste into the environment and everything so people are brands also have to be careful what they say but this is really becoming a big trend and then a lot of companies are wondering about that and a lot more companies are going to get on that bandwagon are going to start to work on it due to upcoming regulations. And uh, that's why Clive, who's a specialist in this topic, is on the podcast today. He can share some, some light on this topic. Hey, Clive, how are you doing? Hey, good morning. <laughs> well, thanks for having me back again with you. It's a pleasure to be back with, with you and all your viewers. Great. As yeah. we said earlier, uh, to set the tenature of this, three lights coming down the tunnel. It's not into the tunnel. It's halfway down the tunnel and it's coming straight for you. That is what we're talking about today, guys. Awareness is one thing I would say that the time for awareness has passed. Action is now needed. Right, right. So tell us a little bit, what what is that train? So let, let's look first at the um, the regulations for putting products on the European Union market, because that's that's where things are the most advanced, right? So what what is that train right there for people selling, you know, companies selling products in the EU? Right. So the, the actual uh, regulation that we're looking at is called the um, ESPR. It's the Eco Design and Sustainability Act. It's all part of a, an EU process called circularity. It was actually tabled before the European Commission on the 14th of uh, July this year. So 
we were expecting it not to be tabled before the end of this year, it's already there. Mm-hmm. It's right. and it's not the, the most important thing here. It is not going to be a directive as normal things start in Europe as a directive and then move to a regulation. This is started off as a regulation, right. which means it's law. Right. And we discussed this a bit in uh, actually at length in, in, in some previous episodes. Uh, you, you, mm-hmm. you, you were a guest and you, you were explaining this also. So at a very high level, basically it's a regulation that will force companies that buy products and put them in the EU market or also make them in the EU anyway. The key is to put products for sale in the EU market. They will force companies to gather some data about the environmental impact of the product, take some actions about it, and we can talk about that, and um, and also affix um, some labeling on, the, on all the products so that it's very easy actually for customs and for market surveillance authorities to to, to check and get the data and see if it's in compliance or not, right? And also yes, might, exactly, yes. Might That's the product extra, passport. Right. There might be some extra information for uh, for end consumers too, but this is not very clear yet in, the, in yeah. the small details. I think in the details, we are certain that this is, as was first um, mentioned, it is going to be consumer-driven. There's a consumer-driven directive, um, with, uh, sorry, regulation, which which gives the the power of the purchaser or the individual, the, shall we say, the information needed to make smart purchases. That will oh. be, which basically comes onto the, uh, onto the product passport. But mm-hmm. the information that's gathered has to be now not just about, uh, you know, how this product started its life. It has to be also about how it ends its life. Right, so it's it's the concept of the full life cycle of the product, right? It gets right. Um, it, the raw materials are extracted, they're processed, some manufacturing. The, the product is is assembled, is shipped out, warehouse to another warehouse, distributed, uh, kept in stores or, or shipped e-commerce. And then also, what about during the use? You know, how much electricity is going is it going to uh, to consume and so on. And, and and then end of life, what happens? Is it just going to be sent to landfill or is anything better going to happen, right? Yeah, as I, as, 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 as I was talking to you earlier before we went on air, one of the um, questions I got when I was talking to a company, I said, well, what happens to your products after you've sold them? I said, not our problem. Right. When I explained that, well, yes, it is now, there, there was a complete and utter disbelief. Right. Yeah. How can they know. control? Right. How can we? Tra- how do we know? How do we know? I said, well, okay, this is what market surveillance is about, and it's what. Well, well, does that mean that we need to have people in Europe? Yep, pretty much so. Remember, your CE requirements are mm-hmm. all now part and parcel of this. Yeah. Yeah. So, as a manufacturer, let's say a manufacturer that designs products. Do they have some? Do they have full control over what people do? Not really, obviously. However, no. they have a lot of influence, right? If if they make it in a way that is easy to disassemble, so that some of the the key parts can be recycled, and they know that these these materials are actually recycled 
in the countries where the products are sold because a lot of like a lot of plastics a lot of metals and so are not recycled but by designing the product in an environmentally conscious way they have a lot of influence they can make it much easier right however if they make a product that yeah nobody really wants to to try and recycle because it's just not economically possible because it's so hard to break it and to open it and to extract things and anyway nothing here can really be recycled then my read on this is that that product would not be legally sold right at least that that's the trend that's the trend right um, well, that, that's the extension of the standard yes exactly exactly so the standard has some horizontal requirements right meaning it's going to touch all the products all the products are going to have to have a passport and things like that okay what about the priorities there are some hmm. some uh, categories that are yeah these categories are actually floating around a little bit the, the, the number one priority was textiles because that's the heaviest user of oils when mm-hmm. you're making plastics using coats and and the apparel that was the one that was going to be targeted first it seems that that's changed what mm-hmm. or, or shall we say as of equal targeting will be batteries lithium ion batteries mm-hmm. now i can share with you some of the figures which are astounding on on lithium ion but if you look at the tier 1 type of dress which will be textiles batteries mm. building material mm. Well, construction this, material. This is top three. There's the top. There's your top three. And holding up those top three are going to be your consumer electronics. Now we we all know about the we regulations and Roche and things like this. Well, all of this is going to be used as a framework for consumer electronics. Yeah. So so if you if, if you mm-hmm. you understand that there is the the general regulation and those regulations are now going to be supported by. Um, the figure is now up to 30 new individual regulations by 2030 to support this. Right. And that's that's just for lithium-ion batteries. Is that correct? Uh, no, that's for everything. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So they're already planning. They're already planning new regulations, up to 30 new regulations to come into effect by 2030. Within the topic of... Eco design and green manufacturing. Yes, 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 yes. Exactly. Okay. So, what you the way you see that is that most of these regulations, like there will be one for lithium-ion batteries, and then there's going to be another one for certain kinds of textiles. Maybe another one for another kind of textiles, and That's then right. there's going to be one for like construction materials, etc. And at one point, they will have something broader about electronic products. Let's say. Yes, right. Yeah, if you think that the the uh, the uh, ESPR is going to be like an umbrella, mm. the eco design regulation. Yeah, the eco design is going to be the umbrella. That's going to be setting the, the 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 actual tone of the standards which are now going to be brought in. Now, these standards, from what I'm reading here, these standards are going to be linked as well to the CE certification system. So, yeah. So anything. Yeah, like machinery, uh, low-voltage products, uh, radio emission, electronic, most electronic products, uh, and so on and so forth. Um, I think the easiest way to say is if it needs a CE certificate now, it's going to need this. Well, everything will require... 
all the products will have to to have a product passport and things like that, even without mm -hmm. a CE mark, right? What you're saying is that there's going to be more and more stringent requirements, and then they would be more and more regulation. Yes, right. And if you want your CE mark, um, then you have to comply with this. If if a notified body, meaning a, a Bureau Veritas, TUV, uh, one of these these big companies that actually certify the products, they call notified bodies. Uh, when it comes to uh, certifying for CE mark, uh, once one of these bodies is involved, they're going to actually request some documentation that proves that yeah, some work has been done on that side. Otherwise, no CE mark. That's what you mean? No, I mean that they have to prove compliance to the standard or no CE mark. Yeah, it's it's a bit wider than that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's uh, if you if you throw back your view to. Um, when we changed over from EUMDD to EUMDR, there was this mm. talk of the grandfather issues and all mm. of this, and people were were saying, well, you know, what do we do now? Because it's now a regulation and there is this period. Well, we started talking about this, I believe, me and you, uh, about a year ago. Yeah, we recorded a podcast about that. It was, uh, I think the, the title of the podcast was If... If the EU MDR is the future of compliance, be afraid or something like that. And um, yeah, something like that. Yeah. Just to give a bit of context to listeners, uh, now we're, we're mentioning a, uh, a regulation for medical devices sold in the EU. And there used to be a medical device directive and another one more specific about in vitro medical devices. But yeah. let's keep it simple. Uh, there's a medical device uh, directive and uh, that, of course, was going, you know, a bit deeper than most of the, the other uh, CE mark products. But uh, there were a lot of fake documents, and it was it was not that tough, okay, uh, for for made in China products to get this directive and actually not always be very safe or, or very effective. Okay, then they say it was it wasn't effective. Period. Oh, that that directive was yeah full of gaps and yeah. holes. Yeah, right. Yeah. So they they upgraded it in a very, very serious and thorough manner uh, with the EU uh, MDR, Medical Device Regulation. And that regulation, um, it, it was announced in its final form in 2017. And a lot of people were like, ah, whatever, you know, it's fine. Let's see how it goes. Then 2020, it was supposed to come into place. And people were like, ah, come on with COVID. Of course, this stuff is you know, okay. Yeah, so so they, they, they delayed it for they delayed it for one year. Right. They delayed for one year. They say, okay, okay, this is really very, very, very special. Okay, we understand. Everybody has their mind somewhere else here. Okay, one year. And then people were saying, well, if I have the MDD and all the stuff I did for the MDD is fine. The notified body is just going to transform that into MDR, and that's it. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. and and actually the notified bodies themselves, the the. Bureau Veritas, TUV, and so on. Actually, they, they yeah. pushed the European Commission saying, well, a minute, guys, we're not ready. This regulation is totally another uh, another world. Yeah, it's, it's, another, it's another planet. It's right. another planet. Yeah, another planet is huge. We need more time to get ready. And we need more time to train the auditors. We need more time to do this and that. And our clients are definitely not ready. And the EU said, Sorry, it's been announced in 2017. You guys just have to do it. 
if it's not yeah. ready well the medical devices just won't get into the uh into the eu that's it period you know um so that's that's how serious they are with these kinds of things yeah i, I think that the, the difference is that over the years and we've both worked in in quality for a long time and we know that the eu basically could get up on a monday morning and not agree that it was monday yeah <laughs> uh-huh. that seems to have changed mm. it's, it's 180 degrees i think yeah. the difference is now that everybody is waking up on a monday and agreeing it's monday and let's get to work right at least the commission has much more um, power it seems and they want to go faster let's say this way and they're yeah. the ones pushing these regulations. So yeah, and that's the point. The, the point that I'm trying to make here is that the naysayers that think it's never going to happen, hmm. it will happen. It's already happening. Right, and this is not going to be pushed, you know, brushed aside, put under the carpet, put in a cupboard. Or no, no, this is coming. And if you sell products in the EU you definitely have to look at it because it's coming in place in 2023, right? Do you uh, remember the date? That, yes, it's, the, it's the, um, the 21st of May 2023 mm. to the 21st of May 2024. That is your grandfather period. Mm. Yep. So <laughs> May 2024, the products you put on the market have to be fully compliant. Okay. So, so we understand. Okay, there's a big train coming uh, everybody's going to have to make some changes to their labeling to the, the information they collect and so on okay and there's some product categories that will be higher on the list of priorities okay and in these product categories people really have to uh, to start working on it right now right so let's switch the focus okay there's the train coming what are people doing uh, and you you've been talking to some chinese uh, manufacturers about these kinds of things do you have the feeling that they are aware of it? Do you have the feeling that they care about it? The first question is, generally speaking, is what is that? Mm-hmm. We don't know. We don't care. Yeah, that's simple. Is, right. Mm-hmm. That's simple. There is probably a belief, wrongly, mm-hmm. that there will be some intergovernment negotiation. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. Okay. It's not even falls into the unlikely bracket. <laughs> right. Well, because yeah. a part of the intent of the commission is actually to say, well, all this cheap crap that may that gets made in, in China, in Vietnam, in, in some other places, we just don't want it anymore. Right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, but uh, apart from trying to sort of like raise product quality and things like this, it is it is much deeper. You know, you you can't put this, and you should not really attempt to put this into a geopolitical environment. This is much bigger. This is about a final realization of something which Al Gore said so many yeah. years ago. Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. With the documentary, what was it? An Incon- inconvenient uh, un- truth. Inconvenient truth. Yeah, inconvenient truth. Yeah, right, 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 right. I mean, I, I, if you want, I mean, as I said, that was before we, we, we started. I, I did some some quick looking about one of the things which is going straight at the top of the list, which mm. is the use of lithium-ion batteries. Mm. Now, the figures on this, 74% of lithium batteries is used in vehicles. Right. 
Electric vehicles. Electric vehicles, yeah. Mm -hmm. Automotive. 14% is used in ceramics and glass or building materials. Mm -hmm. And 3% is used in lubricants. So now you can see why they're going to target automotive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Mm -hmm. All right. Then the global demand. <clears throat> now, remember, we're actually talking here of a period during the worst of COVID 2020 21. Mm -hmm. The global demand was $4.6 billion. It is expected by 2030 to 22.8 billion dollars oh yeah i mean all of the yeah. the car companies are lining up uh, ev you know electric vehicles and uh, some of them you know most of them are basically planning to to stop selling uh yeah um, normal aspirated engines yeah 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 right yeah uh, i mean if you look at the um the the demand on on how this is going and, and the, the the value shall we say of the industry mm -hmm. um the total value per annum is is about 25 billion dollars mm -hmm. at the current rate now <clears throat> we've got to take into account during this period there has been a slowdown in production caused by covid well, for electric vehicles, I'm not. Yeah, the the trend right. might have been a bit, you know, going going up a bit more slowly, but uh, definitely yeah. was was exploding already. Yeah, it was exploding, and it, it it sort of like slowed down, and then it started to go back up again. So those figures can be a little bit skewed, right? So the largest user, as I said, was automotive. Hmm. Right now, there is talk about something which is called the recyclable tax, mm -hmm. which they would impose on vehicle manufacturers that do not recycle their own batteries. Right. That brings us into another part of the regulation of the design as well, which is also about reuse through leasing and renting. So in other words, you buy the car, but you rent the battery. That ensures mm -hmm. that the battery goes back to the manufacturer and is recycled in a safe way. Right. Now, yeah, talking about eco design, I mean, this is design. This is where the, it comes in. The, yeah. Yeah, the business model so that the people who buy the cars are not likely to dump the, the, the batteries somewhere. Uh, they, they're much more likely to bring them back into a service center or something. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Because. The, the the safety issues alone when it comes to recycling of lithium ion, okay? Mm. Landfill, as we said before, and that, that paper which I wrote, um, which if you want to make available on your website, you can do. Fire. Mm. Mm. Massive fire risk in landfill. And what yes. that does, when these batteries are burning and the plastics, they, they release um, hydrofluoric acid into the groundwater. Mm. it's not very nice and that's a very very scary chemical that's um, a very very scary if, if you don't know what that does it actually eats your flesh yeah it's it's pretty nasty pretty nasty yeah. so and 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 china is is processing most of that right even though they are not 
the main uh, extraction area. I think you told me it was Australia, number one. Australia, Australia is the largest, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, the total global recyclable uh, recycling of uh, lithium-ion, according to the uh, Energy Economics Commission, the Centre for Econo- Energy Economics, the rate of recovery was between 1% and 3% globally. Yeah, it's nothing, nothing, right? Yeah, it's the batteries are made. You know, the battery cells are made. The, 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 it's, it's packed, it's put into a vehicle, uh, sold to somebody, and then end of life. What happens? Nobody's really thinking about it. So it's it's an ecological disaster. I mean, let's say it this way. Yeah, and <laughs> I mean, and, uh, if if you look at the, the the EU, the largest recycle recycling center is uh, planned in Belgium. Um, it's to it's to open in 2024 or thereabouts. Mm-hmm. It's 525 million US dollars, but it can only process 150,000 metric tons per year. Right. Way to go. Yeah. yeah. Which is, which, which if you thought about the, the scale of the problem, Okay. Mm. If you look at the scale of this problem, if you are making about 460 million metric tons per annum, you have to recycle 450 million metric tons. You would agree with that, yeah? In theory, yeah, yeah, of course. In theory, okay. Mm. The problem is that that 450 is not million, it's billion. (laughs) Right. So that's right. why, in your mind, that's why it's only one to three percent, right? And that's why the EU Commission is targeting that as as, as a priority. Yeah, um, it it okay. is a priority not only for a, a cost saving, as I say. The, I mean, the estimated value of recycling of lithium ion batteries alone is somewhere in the region of um, forty two billion dollars. Mm. That's the value of it. Yeah. That you're putting into into landfill, notwithstanding the fact that you are generating a, a huge fire hazard and to an ecological disaster waiting to happen. Yeah, the, the scale of economics is that the cost, the current cost of recycling, makes it commercially prohibitive mm. to recycle. Right, right. Which ends the tax. Yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah, it needs actually to be financed, yes, by the yeah. somehow by the manufacturer or through um people leasing the batteries and then paying as they go as they're using the car or something like that, right? But they they want yeah. to find a way, yeah. So it's not just okay, so it's gonna be automotive first, but lithium ion batteries, I mean, I have one in my phone, I have one in my iPad, I have one in my, my computer, I have one, you know. You have one everywhere. <laughs> So consumer if electronics. If you use electronics, it's there. Right. Yeah. Consumer yeah. electronics are, are also going to be a target maybe in a few years down, down the road, right? Yeah. Because if you look at South America, is now the largest importer of electronic waste. Mm. Right. And yeah, there is only, mm-hmm. yeah, 9% is recycled by authorized people. The rest of it just gets chucked into a big hole somewhere. Right, 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 right. So consumer electronics are also, yeah, what do we call it? E-waste, right? Electronics waste. E-waste, yeah, covered by the the, the, the 
uh, a regulation called We and yes. Roche. Okay. Okay. Now, so <laughs> to, let's get back. So this is like people are becoming aware of that. The authorities are definitely getting aware of that. In the EU, there is a train that's already, you know, getting to full speed soon, and and will address these issues like one by one, textile, building materials, and um, probably consumer electronics soon, and and so on. We're also talking probably like Canada already has something. Australia, yeah. the new government seems to to want to go in in that general direction also. And yes, then... the Australians actually want to take the lithium and turn it into the product instead of just mining the ore and shipping it out somewhere else. Right, right. Yeah, they're like a um, a colony, right? Just uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, extracting raw materials, shipping it some somewhere else where the the value is added. Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. But the yeah. um, the governments will also want to do something about all that. And in the US, at, I mean, at one point, some of the states like California are going to to step into this and also yes. also set their own regulations. Certain states already do have imposed state leg- uh, legislation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Um, but at this moment in time, there doesn't seem to be a unified approach in America. But that's changing. And I would expect that to change in November when we have the the, uh, the COP27 meeting. Right. That, so that's the United Nations regular climate. meeting. Yeah. Yeah. With the countries. Change. Right. Countries come back and say, well, this is the situation and this is what we committed to and this is what we've done and this is what we commit to do in the next few years and, and so on, right? And every yeah. time it sort of gives a boost, it, it puts climate and loss of biodiversity and so on on the agenda and it pushes these types of regulations, yes. So that's the um, the high level, you know, that's the trend, right? That we're going in, the, in that direction, whatever happens, there's no way around it. <laughs> this is not stopping. I right. think we said that months ago when we first started talking about this. Yes. So have you seen some importers who have some manufacturing in, in uh, let's say, in China or in Vietnam or India start to put pressure on their suppliers? You know, And what are the first steps if they want to 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 get ready for compliance? Well, the first step that they need to do is the life cycle assessment. Yeah. Get some information, actually. What? Yeah. So, actually, even before the life cycle assessment. Well, well, they should have already done their assessment of their carbon footprint. This this was a general requirement for quite some time now. Years. Under what regulation? I, I would say if we looked at G7 nations, yes, that's all part of their business process now. But if you're looking at China, China actually has made huge strides forward, to be honest mm-hmm. with you, in, in, in its its cleanup of the environment. It's, I mean, oh, yes. You know, I mean, and I know it's quite common for people to not China. Mm-hmm. But on this case, China's actually done a damn good job so far on what it was doing. It right. started off with the world's most polluted country. And, you know, I used to wake up in the morning and the air was pink. Hmm. Hmm. Um, now you see a, a, a clear blue sky. If the weather's good, you've got a clear blue sky. Right. That change has been dramatic. It's one thing which you can clearly see. Also, right. um, you know, the, the recycling of materials in China is a hmm. big business. 
it, it is it is a quite mature business as well yeah they take it quite seriously the like kids are regimented to to doing it and putting it in the right bin and everything and everywhere in all the compounds and the, the bonds yeah. the, the security guards actually tell you hey no this is uh this is plastic bottle you're supposed to put it there seriously right yes yes yeah yeah so i mean you know you've got to sort of like say say well okay well done china on this one in fact there are they are in front of quite a few countries so including some of the bigger countries as well mm-hmm. however there is the thorny side which we need to address on this and this is the requirement is going to be not just on the actual finished product so let's be clear the regulation and compliance to this standard will include your supply chain every component which goes into that product right of course because and that's where that's where you need to start the assessment yes that's why it's called life cycle assessment so again for listeners it it's the extraction of raw materials is all the processing that it goes through and so on and so forth and for a product like like a phone a mobile phone it's astoundingly complex i mean you have so many different materials going into so many different types of processing in different countries some of these sub let's say modules are so complicated it's uh, <laughs> it takes a, a lot of efforts just to um, to assess their impact right and then you have it in a, as, a, as a final product and then you ship it and then people use it and you know how much energy does it does it does it consume uh, is it likely you know is it easy to 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 uh, to repair if something breaks because otherwise it's thrown away way too early uh, is it easy to change the battery um, how long is it going to last is it really true That's... that an iphone is going to last you you know four or five years uh, you know and and then after that what do you do with it you know can the manufacturer take it back is it easy to get it back to them and so on and yeah. so forth. Now, if you if you look about the mobile phone okay one of the part where the design side of this comes in is how do you make that battery last longer? Oh, yeah. Yes. Okay. Before recharging. Mm-hmm. And then that knocks on to why does it use a lot of power? Because programs which are used on those phones are what we would call lazily wrote. Right. Yes. So there's the operating system, obviously. There's yeah, And then there's the apps and, uh, and the way... What about if some apps are in the background? Do they keep um, sort of being active or not? And uh, yeah, the batteries, I mean, for the high-end phones and, and, and tablets and things like that, you know, how many cycles can you go through until the battery can no longer have 80% of its original capacity? You know, if you go, you know, maybe low-end, maybe two, 300 cycles is not bad already. Maybe, you know, something better, 500 the, the best ones, maybe 800 cycles, you know, that's, that sounds amazing. Yeah, the, the, um, the batteries do tend to fall off. Once they start passing, once the, the electrons themselves are not, not at the same flow rates or at the same, the same quantity of levels, the batteries do actually fall off very quickly. Yeah. So right, it right, will probably yeah. be good at 90% up to say 600 and then at 550, it's down to 80% and, and, and so downwards, that's why. Boom. Right. Yeah. Now, there was days of old, 
if you remember, when your phone battery, you could interchange it. You could go out to the shop and buy a new one. Right, right. Long time ago, huh? Yeah. Long time ago, yes. Well, think about the new phones now and think that the the eco design requirement, shall we say, of that would be a return to that. Mm, right, right. And of course, this there's a lot of mega trends here, right? The the right for consumers to repair their own phones. Uh, the right is, of repair. Yeah. Yeah. This has gone into law in, in the EU and, and the US. Um and uh you know it doesn't mean you can do it in your garage, but at least what Apple has done, because they're quite careful with that. Uh, they don't want people to mess too much with their products, but they, they have released some guidelines for you know, third-party repair shops and they have a program for them to be qualified and things like that. So it's much easier to, to get the iPhone repaired um, here and there. If you, wanted to ask, if you wanted to ask me, I would say that, that what they've done is a minimum to meet the standard. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, the design of the product on the iPhone 14, not 14 Pro, not 14 Plus, but iPhone 14 um, is a big redesign of the internals so that they actually um, can be open and you know dismantled and repaired much more uh, easily. Uh, right. Yes, as like a modular, a modular approach. Yeah, you can open it from the front or from the back, or I mean, it's um, uh, it, it's much easier for people to to reach out the components that they need to to replace, basically. Uh, so they are doing what they can, let's say, <laughs> right? But if you There's remember, so if, you, if you if you look at most of the electronics or the portable electronics, going back five years maybe 10 years but your laptop had a removable battery which you could interchange now they don't oh yes well again there's a lot of trade-offs right and we could talk about that for a long time but yeah, yeah the, the, the point that i'm making here is that that yeah. it's not only about the recycling it's that remembering quality we always say that you design in quality you're never inspecting mm-hmm. quality Oh, the yeah. same applies to this. Yes. You design in recyclability and circularity yeah. at the very, very start of the product. Right. Oh, yes. The most important, I would say, is just, you know, reliability and durability. Is it going to break very early or can it actually go through a life of three, four, five years without getting broken? Uh, yes. And then, well, if when it gets broken, it can be repaired. That's a nice bonus. If when it gets broken and, and you know and just stops working or is out of fashion, people stop using it, if it can be returned somewhere and recycled, that's also a very nice bonus. Uh, but there are some, um, how to say, uh, there's a trade-off here, right? And how much, how much lithium and cobalt and, and all kinds of things like that does it, you know, are needed to make it? And how much... Uh, energy is needed to make these these very nice aluminum bodies and things like that. Aluminum bodies, yeah. uh, aluminum I think, I think consumes the, like six times more. To get, the, yeah, the word that you're trying to get to here mm-hmm. when it comes to sort of like phones is when when phones stopped becoming a device for communication and started to become more of a an apparel product. <laughs> more like fashion, yes. More yes. fashion, yes. which brings us to what they call fast fashion. Oh, 
Yes, which is terrible, and which is definitely going to be targeted on the top of the list. It could be the top of the list, right? Yeah, because if something is designed to be worn like two or three times and look look bad after five washing cycles, I mean, and 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 is is produced in a hurry without any regard for the environment in in some relatively small factories around Guangzhou, shipped by air. Now that's a big one, also. It's shipped mm-hmm. by air because fashion has got to be there very fast and it's it's sent e-commerce and it's just worn one, two, three times and uh, they, they do their Instagram photos with it and they're happy and they, they put it somewhere in the closet and then they throw it away. Well, that That is a, a huge disaster, obviously, right? Yeah, so this is going to be targeted. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, it, that will be targeted and it will probably be taxed. And that's probably taxed out of existence, yeah. as it as it as it should be. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, you know, people have said, "Well, why textiles?" Because most textiles are are recycled. No, textiles used to be recycled before they were made from oil. Mm. Okay, when you start talking about the uh, the materials, you know, such that are made into say sportswares and things like this, you know, when you're using polyesters, well, okay, that is a plastic made from oil. Yeah. It's also very, very difficult to recycle. So yeah, polyester comes with a number of issues. Yeah. You got you got to extract that oil and process it. And you get to um you get to dye that fabric. And if you especially if you dye it in black or some very deep colors, wow! Mm-hmm. The amount cobalt. of dyes, yeah, the amount of dyes you're going to use. Ouch! Mm-hmm. You know how much, how much of that is going to be released in the local uh, water system, right? And yeah. um, and then it's shipped out, and it can be quite durable, I would say. But how much microplastic is it going to release to to release into the rivers and and all the all the water systems? Finally, the ocean. Yeah. Well, if you look at what uh, what Ocean Watch. 12 is doing, and there was a survey which came out that said by 20, I think it was 2030, there will be more microplastics in the sea than what there are fish. Right. Yeah, we're going in, the, in that direction. Yes. Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy. So the question is, really, I suppose, as you know, if we haven't scared a company enough now, then they're clearly not listening. What can be done about it? Right. Well, the very first step, yeah, as you mentioned, is yeah. actually assess the the impact of the product also through the life cycle. And there's a there's a tool for that, huh? LCA, yeah. life cycle assessment. Yeah. Life life cycle assessments, yeah. Right. There are two ISO standards. One that specifies like the the principles and the general requirements for doing it, and the other one that goes more into the details of how to do it. Uh, it's fourteen oh forty and fourteen oh forty four. But um, as we were mentioning just before the podcast, some people say before these ISO standards, 10 people were doing the assessment, they would get 10 different results, uh, so vastly different results. Now, after the ISO standards, 10 people do it, they still get <laughs> pretty different results. Uh, there's so many assumptions and, uh, and, and decisions to be made when, when doing that kind of uh, of. Of, of work, it's there's very severe lim- limitations. Let's say it's got to be properly planned, 
let's say this yeah, one. It's, it's, it is. I mean, and, and we, we also need to, to, to know as well that the level of compliance auditors, shall we say, from the accreditation bodies is probably not to the level needed hmm. to a, help a company get there and b when they say that they get there, physically go and check that they are. Oh. Um, mm-hmm. This, from, from my point of view, working as, in compliance is there is the law and the law is not grey. When, when I see the words shall and shall not, mm-hmm. I take them what they are. They are not a, an assumption. My talking to some manufacturers over the past couple of weeks has been that it's not a case of how do we comply with this, it's how do we get round this. Right. In China, you mean, right? As, yes. As always, as always. As always. Now, when you say, well, there is no way around this, that is the disbelief that you find a lot. Mm-hmm. An awful lot of people just simply disbelieve that it's going to be enforced. Right. Yeah. You, you're mentioning that because we're saying the first step is to actually assess the impact of your product or products, you know, including manufacturing in China. And you're going to have to ask your manufacturers a number of questions. You're going to need them to provide a lot of data about uh, the energy use and, 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 and so on and so forth and what processes are involved and, and so on, what materials, etc., etc. And they, they're not very big fans of that, right? That's what you're saying. If the if a buyer says, "Well, a regulation is coming, we get to have this data, otherwise we can no longer sell," they're not going to get great support from uh, from their Chinese suppliers. Is that what you mean? What I mean is that the Chinese supplier will look at a way of trying to either not present the correct information, which allows you to make an assessment. Or simply will not give it to you. Remember, one of the courses that sets one of the one of the, the roots or the course that this is set in is that you've got to have complete transparency. Well, yeah, to to a point. I mean, if they mention well, t- down is, to tier three. Yes, uh, which is yeah, which in China, if you have not, if you're not a huge company, so again, the example of Apple and so on, don't should not be taken into account because you know most most companies are not uh, in that situation on their market if you haven't negotiated that from the start and and you're not a huge company it's not going to happen not going to happen even tier so tier 1 components suppliers you know so if i take my phone where does the battery come from where does the display come from where does the casing come from and so on that's it then you're that's, fine okay. that's tier 1 it's already very hard sometimes to get that information, okay, without the identification of the suppliers. Now, if they say supplier A, supplier B, supplier C, supplier D, for that, you know, for the purpose of the assessment, that's probably okay. But then probably if you look, okay, so the display, you know, so that's supplier A. But I want to know what goes into that display. Ask them do. for like supplier A1, A2, A3, what do they provide that they assemble together? Yeah. Are they going to get that information? <laughs> right? Uh, and... I think we both know the answer to that one, but if anybody has not 
dealt with directly with Chinese suppliers or Chinese buyers or sellers or anybody, the answer is that they treat their supply chain as a state secret. Right. Oh, yes. Well, I mean, we need to be very, very clear here. The standard and the regulation is going to be wrote does not mention, oh, we cannot tell you because that's our commercial secret. Mm. I've read the proposal back to front, upside down. It never mentions the word maybe. (laughs) Right. Right. It uses the word shall. Yeah. The bottom of this is you either comply with the standard or you don't sell that product in Europe. Right, exactly. So if I'm the buyer of that mobile phone, I'm going to tell them, well, I need that information, otherwise I can no longer sell. Um, You know, there's going to be a date where this information is going to be due. Like, let's start to work on it. Even if the the contract manufacturer is is okay with that and say, okay, okay, yeah, no problem. Let's say they buy the battery from a large battery manufacturer that doesn't care about them. You know, that's like, 20 times or 100 times bigger. You can say, oh, please, Mr. Battery Supplier, you know, tell me where you get the sales and, um, and, uh, or, or give me some information, you know, what goes into it, um, how much... Um, how much energy know, is it used? Right. What, the, what the processing time was? Yes. Where was it extracted? Yes. And that's, battery, that's supplier, what you need. battery Supplier is not going to respond. Well, they You'll don't sell like, their batteries in Europe. Well, maybe they... Maybe that's the choice. Sell. That's the commercial choice that they they yes. they don't want. Yes. Um, like I said, the standard isn't saying this isn't an option. There is no mm-hmm. option here. We have to we have to understand. We had the same arguments with medical devices. Mm-hmm. Okay, I know we did. Me and you, we discussed this for mm-hmm. hours. Oh yeah, yeah. And there was well, they maybe they won't do it. And all of a sudden. Okay, because the EU finally got some round ones, said, fine, you're not selling it here, period. Right. And that's why it's very important to to know about that now. Because, you know, send what we do for some of our clients who are in this situation. We send a, a survey, like a questionnaire to the suppliers, and we see the level of response and the level of awareness that, uh, that transpires. Okay. Then the importer knows, okay, this player, I cannot really count on them for this stuff. You know, either they, they're totally ignorant or they're not going to be cooperative or, you know, it's they're very immature on that point. I I can't really count on them for that. So that that's when the that's when the buyers have got to make commercial, uh, a commercial decision. But that right, commercial exactly. decision is no longer going to be based purely on price. Right. Yeah, compliance comes into play here. And these decisions yeah. need to be taken often one, two, three years in advance. You know, so the next time, the next product you're going to develop, maybe you should not develop with these guys. Maybe you should develop yeah. it with some other guy. And, may, and then maybe you should do some of the sourcing yourself of the components. So you already know, you already have a direct relationship with the, the highest risk, let's say, uh, yeah. component suppliers. And you, 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 you ensure that they are aware of the regulations, and they are going to be able to provide the data that you would need, right? Right. If yeah, if we keep going back, and sorry for keep going back, because obviously, as you know, I come mainly from the 
mm-hmm. the, the area of medical devices. All of these arguments was put, put there before. Right. In China, they won't tell you. In China, they won't do this or any. They won't do this or any. Okay. It was just a simple, easy fix. And that easy fix was if you do not do this, then you will not sell that product. Right. Oh, yeah. And that. And then. And then all of a sudden, the data was available. <laughs> so that medical device regulation is, um, yeah, is forcing the manufacturers to open up to an extent. I mean, they, they get to to be able to show the design and development, you know, the, the evolution of it, the different yes. file uh, versions and things like that. It's in 13485. It's, it's also in the UMDR. I mean, now there's no... There's no hiding from that, right? No. For example, if, if if you remember, one of the aspects uh, which changed from D, from from MDD to MDR was the technical file. Mm-hmm. Yeah, medical device file and so on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, now think about the same thing is going to have to happen with your laptop computer. Right. Yeah. On the product passport, some of the data will be required, you know, and it's going to be uh, more and more over time. And again, the customs officers and market service authorities. We, we, we actually, we, yeah, we have a date on this, by the way. Mm. We have a date when this is going to be done and dusted. Mm-hmm. And that's 2030. By 2030, your products are going to have to have a passport to e- enter the EU. Yeah. And more regulation. Yes. To yeah, support that. It's not just, here's a passport, you know. Uh, it's going to be <laughs> what information goes in there. You know, who's the yeah. manufacturer? And we don't know yet what information will be visible to everybody. You know, including consumers. Oh, I, think, I, think, I, think, I think I think we have a good idea of what the information is going to be. It's it's going to be the energy use to build the product. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the emissions or anything like this or any harmful toxins, mm-hmm. and the recommended disposal of the product. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. Yep, and how to maintain... Yes, that we very much know is going to be part and parcel of it already. Right, right. Yeah, we don't know in the details yet. Yeah. um, But I I expect that we will know the details before the end of the year, this year. Okay, okay. So, that yeah, it's coming soon. Okay. Yeah. Well, like I say, the the latest, it went before Parliament on the, uh, what was it, the 14th of July? The 14th of July this year mm-hmm. it was already there. So Yeah, yes, yes, yes. Good. Uh, so now they're, uh, now, they're working on the specifics. Uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> there will be a to and fro, as there always is, but I don't see it changing very much because there is just a – there is a, a, a an enormous amount of information out on the internet as to how this is going. It's You, you cannot be blind to this. Hmm. Oh yes, yes. No, the pressure, the pressure, the political pressure, uh, pressure from consumers and so on, it is there definitely. Yes, yes. What would be the advice on to to people that have suddenly woken up? Would be well, look at your products, <laughs> talk to yeah. a compliance officer, ask questions of yes. your design department. Yes. Have yes. you considered this? And if the answer is no. As of today, I would suggest that you are behind the eight ball. Right. It doesn't mean in one or two years you can no longer sell it, but you're oh, going to have. I think have, it does. 
Um, let's say there's going to be a, a combination of things, right? Consumers are going to be made aware that this is not an environmentally conscious, um, how to say, it was not designed in an env- environmentally uh, conscious way uh, yeah. for such and such manner. So it's going to sort of look bad if you want. Uh, there might be a tax, for example, for fast fashion and things like that. It can still be yeah. sold, but the, the, it's a big problem. Well, right? <laughs> okay. It will not get us. Uh, uh, the measurement I that, that I've got here is 80% of the product must be recyclable. Yeah, for, for I mean, this is not horizontal. This is not on every kind of product, right? Because it for some products, it's not applicable. It's for, cert, it's for certain products, yes. yes. So the, the very specific requirements for uh, lithium-ion batteries, textile products, building materials... Building materials. ...are, are, are going to come up in the next few months or, or a bit later. We're not really sure. But then when that comes up, yeah, people are going are gonna to have... They might have a very short lead time to actually adjust, right? They're not going to be given 10 years. No, they're not going to be even given 10 months. I would suggest that that if if we look at history, and I keep, sorry to go back to it, but I keep going to back when, when the realisation that MDR was here hmm. and the shock and horror was like, well, how do we comply with this? Will be the same effect as this, if not, if, if not more, because well, it applies be many, to more products. Yeah, yeah, many, many more companies. Yes. Yeah. Wow. So... The, you know, hiding your head in the sand is probably the worst commercial decision that you could make. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't do it. Don't bet, don't bet against uh, new regulations from the EU, EU commission. If you sell a sizable portion of your products in the EU, you get to do right. this. But you could also as well guarantee that the same regulations and the same requirements will be in the US, Canada, Australia, UK, it's not part of UK, uh, Europe now, but anyway, UK, the same watered down, if not almost identical, but less draconian, will probably be in South America. Mm-hmm. As I said to you, South America has become the dumping ground for electronic waste. Yeah, right, 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 right. And, and they don't want any more. There was a meeting of the 12, of the 12, South American nations only a couple of months ago mm-hmm. that that said we, we need to stop this. Right, right, right. Yeah, so regulation is going to come up a little bit, a little bit everywhere in a lot of developed countries, at least for sure. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. it's it's only the the undeveloped countries where if you're not careful, you are going to be free to sell your products. Right. <laughs> right. Oh well. Uh, you want to have a very optimistic outlook. Don't talk to Clive. But that's. No, I'm not. I'm. Hey, I, I'm not sales. I, I'm not a salesman. I'm a compliance officer. I mean, I just. Yeah. Exactly. I, it, it, yeah. It, exactly. It, it complies with the regulation, or it doesn't. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, um, yeah. At least you, you, the listeners, you know, you you are warned. You, you know what's coming. It's a train. It's it's been gathering speed. It's gonna. Get your products sold in the EU first. There is a calendar. Uh, if you Google about the, the, the EU's eco-design regulation, 
that's right. We, the, all you need to do is to. Uh, I, I went onto Google today, uh, to just before we came on, mm-hmm. uh, and I looked up um, ESPR. Google mm-hmm. search ESPR. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we'll 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 include some links to to that. We yeah. wrote on that topic also in the in the show notes. But and there's also yeah. my white paper, which I wrote as well, which obviously yeah. you have a copy of that one, which if, if anybody wants it, they can, I'm sure, download it from you. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They can uh, they can just contact us and uh, we'll, we'll send it to them. Yeah, I think I think we've given a pretty good overview of uh, of that that train of bad news coming. coming. Uh, I mean, actually, it's good news for, for, for people. It's good news for the planet. But it, it's it's bad news for people who have had their, their head, you know, head down. Uh, getting new products, putting them on the market, uh, you know, dealing with the everyday issues of delays and quality and so on from their suppliers and dealing with their distribution and dealing with all of this, but not thinking too much about, hey, how to remain compliant, how to actually make sure that this product, I can keep selling them for the next five or 10 years, right? This is really, really important. Uh, if you're in that situation, you need to to get familiar with this upcoming regulation. I know big companies have had their you know internal uh, briefings about the upcoming regulation, but a lot of SMEs don't have access to that, and uh, it's not like they can ask their uh, business lawyer about it. Uh, it's 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 new. Uh, not so many people are aware of it, but there's a ton of information online already. Not into the small details because this is being discussed. Uh, and and this will be hammered out and and uh, and published as, as they go. But we already know that certain things are happening for sure, right? Uh, have already been confirmed. So at the high level, everything we discussed today is it's pretty pretty well confirmed. So yeah, a, a big thank you to Clive. For, Pleasure as for, always. Yeah, for for sharing on this topic and uh, thanks to the listeners and uh, stay tuned and you will hear from us uh, next week as usual. Thanks. Thanks again for listening to this podcast brought to you by the Sophies Group. We're on a mission to provide you with everything you need to manufacture effectively in Asia, including inspections, auditing, new product development support, contract manufacturing, 3PL warehousing and fulfillment, and much, much more across Asia's key manufacturing areas. Visit us at sofeast.com. That's S-O-F-E-A-S-T.com to learn more and get help. If you've enjoyed the podcast today, please do rate, review and share because it will really help others discover us too.